You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. We're so glad that you're here. And listen, if you're tuning in online, uh, you're like, are they having church? Not yet. May 2nd, doors are open to everybody. But today we are here with our dream team learning how to do church again. So dream team, do me a favor, make some noise. Everybody at home uh, know how excited you are to join them for worship starting May 2nd. Go ahead. Yeah. Man, we are excited. May 2nd, 9, 30, and 11, doors are reopening. But today we are continuing in a series that started last week called Resurrection People. And so if you have a Bible, do me a favor, open up to John 20. That's where we're going to be today. John chapter 20. I got to move my music stand. I'm a lefty, so it's going over here. All right. While you're turning there, um, I'm going to just begin by stating the obvious. Uh, We live in a weird time, right? You don't think so? Okay. Um, And one of the weird things about this time, um, I just find fascinating as as like a social case study is the avenue of social media. And the reason I find social media so fascinating is it used to be, in order to broadcast your voice, you had to have certain people backing you. You had to, let's say you wanted to write an article. Well, you had to submit that to a publication, right? And then an editor would say, all right, yes or no to it. Or it used to be if you wanted to be on TV, like, well, you had to go to a network of some kind. But now, thanks to things like Facebook, thanks to things like uh, Instagram, thanks to things like uh, TikTok and YouTube, anybody and everybody can be famous for no apparent reason. And I, I think this is, this is really, really neat because I think a lot of people, um, and maybe all of us at some point, uh, want to be famous for something. A lot of us, like, like we just, when we, you know, we're going through life, we want somebody to recognize and tell us that we're good. We want people to recognize and say, all right, like, like you did this, and I just want you to know that I saw it. And so, there, like, this need for fame is, is present among a lot of us in a culture that, that, that craves significance. And uh, I'm bringing it up because I just had the weirdest thought the other day. Like, man, could you imagine if you became famous, but it was for something that you didn't want to be famous for? Like, wouldn't that be, like, the worst, right? Like, like, if, like, you're, like, you're desiring fame, you're desiring for somebody to know your name, and the thing that they begin to know your name for is something that you're really embarrassed by. Like, so for instance, okay, for instance, um, every now and then you hear stories of people who, like, they became famous, and the thing they're most known for, they absolutely despise. I don't know if you ever heard the, the, the 80s song, Cherry Pie. Remember that song, Cherry Pie? Well, the guy who wrote Cherry Pie hates that song, like, or hated it. He's uh, dead now, but he hated it back then. Um, same way, like, listen, um, and, and just welcome back to SGC. Here's a Star Wars reference for you, because that's how Pastor Burt rolls. Um, Sir Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, uh, for whom my son Ben is named, don't judge me. Um, Alec Guinness was a famous actor of the stage, and he took Star Wars as a sort of side gig just to pay the bills. He didn't think anybody would ever see it. And it turns out it's the most, like, famous role that he ever had. And Alec Guinness hated Star Wars. To the point, there's a story in three of his biographies, okay? He never owned it, but three different biographers said this absolutely happened. Whereas one day, Sir Alec Guinness is walking down the street, and a seven-year-old boy comes up to him. He says, oh, my gosh, you're Obi-Wan Kenobi. I've seen Star Wars like 20 or 30 times. Oh, wow. Like, could I please have your autograph? To which Sir Alec Guinness leaned down and he said, son, I will do it on one condition, that you promise me 
you will never watch Star Wars again. Dang, man. Yeah. It's safe to say he was famous for something. He did not like it. And today I'm bringing it up because we're going to look at the life of somebody uh, who's famous for something that he probably wouldn't want to be known for, particularly looking at a disciple whose name is Thomas. And uh, he is known, and, and he is where the phrase doubting Thomas comes from. And his life is anything but faithless. I mean, it's just it's this one moment of weaknesses we're going to see. Um, because Thomas actually was not so much a cynical guy as he was a brokenhearted and passionate guy. So to understand it, um, let's just backtrack a little bit. Here's a little story. I don't know if you've heard this or not. So Jesus died for our sin, right? And then uh, that was a Friday. On a Sunday, he rises from the dead. And he appears to first uh, the women like Mary Magdalene, his mother. And then in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, it says this. On, that, on the evening of that first day of which or of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Because remember, uh, they're still afraid of the people who killed Jesus. All right. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And I just want to pause as a quick aside with that, because that moment is actually really boss. <laughs> like, really boss. I'm going to explain to you why, for two reasons, okay? Number one, here's why, like, Jesus is just showing up, so okay, they're afraid, doors locked, they're in an upper room, okay? They're, they're afraid, and Jesus suddenly is just standing among them, and he goes, peace be with you, all right? And we hear that, and we think this, this is sort of like, almost like a Michelangelo art painting, right, where he's got his two fingers up like this, and we don't even know why he does this, but he's just like this, you know, like maybe he's just going to something, I don't know. And then, like, there's always, like, that, like, painted halo around his head. And the, so that's how we picture that. And that's wrong, okay? Here's, like, when Jesus shows up and he goes, peace be with you, all right? Two things are happening, which just makes this such an incredible moment. Number one, um, the greeting that he gives them there is just a customary Jewish greeting. So it's not this great theological exposition where he's like, and so I have died for your sins, and now peace may be yours in your hearts forever and ever. Like, no, people would just say this to each other all the time. Peace be with you, or shalom, right? I mean, you just find this throughout the Old Testament. So the equivalent, like, so basically Jesus just showing up, even though they're afraid and they're huddled and the doors are locked, is essentially him just showing up and being like, what's up? Like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, just, do you understand how awesome that is? That, I mean, that's, that's like, okay, you ever watch, um, you ever watch, like, an action movie? right, where, like, they're, like, the guy has an explosion, he just walks away from it, doesn't even look back. Like, you know what I'm talking about? That's essentially what's happening. Like, Jesus is just blown up death behind him. It's just, well, what's up? Like, not even, like, not, I think it's amazing. And you guys, Dream Team, you're reacting way too small for that. That's fine. We'll stick with it. All right. Like, look, so, so okay, number one, that's the significance that basically he's just, peace be with you, right? Second thing about this, and I, and I just love this, okay? This is the first time Jesus sees his disciples since they have abandoned him in his hour of need. Since, okay, like, hey, <laughs> he's tortured, he's killed, and all of them ran. And anything he could say to them would be justified. Like, he could show up and he could be like, hey, didn't you say you would be with me to the end? Didn't you say you'd love me? Didn't you say you'd trust me? Didn't you say that you would walk me or with me through the gates of hell itself? And it said what happened was some guy showed up with some torches and you bounced. But he doesn't. Instead, he just looks and just brushes it aside. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. In other words, hey, may God's favor, may God's peace, his completeness, shalom, right? We talked about this at Advent, okay? Like, may the complete character and will and nature of God be resting 
on you. I mean, the mercy in that is astounding. But see, that's who Jesus is. So I would just tell you this today, for, for the ones who are here today, and you're like, oh, man, I dropped the ball again. And Jesus could never love me. Jesus could never forgive me. Well, if he can say, peace be with you to these guys, he probably can. And so he says, peace be with you. Continuing, verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. In other words, in case anybody's like, okay, but is it really Jesus? Because sometimes we have a cognitive disconnect, right? Where, you know, if, if I saw a friend die and suddenly they're in the room with me going, sup, I might have some questions. And so, and so, and so maybe uh, they're, they're, okay, is it really Jesus or not? So he's like, hey, holds your hands and, and in the side. You remember that time I got crucified and uh, stabbed uh, while I was on the cross? Well, here's the proof. Okay, so, so, uh, so he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 20. Uh, actually, you know, hang on, I want to I jump on down. Jump down, down to verse 24. All right, so that's what happens, okay? Now it says, Thomas, also known as uh, Didymus, or Diddy, uh, if you're feeling hip. Um, <laughs> oh, you laugh at that one, huh? All right. Look. All right, look. Uh, just fun fact for you, like, what, what, what does that name mean? Uh, it's Greek. It just means twin. So Thomas is known as the guy who looks like somebody else. That's, <laughs> that's, it. that's, that's what Didymus uh, means. So anyway, uh, Tom, Thomas, uh, known as Didymus, or Didy, uh, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And just a little fun fact for you, by the way. So here's the situation. Thomas missed it. Ultimately, like sometimes you, you know you get your friends and they're like, "Oh man, were you at that party Friday night?" And you're like, oh, "I wasn't invited," you know. And there's always that kind of like, uh, "Okay, imagine that's like the nth degree right now, dude." We saw the risen Jesus. You should have been there. Like, oh, okay. Um, but here's the interesting thing, okay? And this is what we're beginning to understand about Thomas, where it says like they they told him we have seen the Lord. Um, the 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 word that we translate as "told" in the Greek is this, this uh, tense called the imperfect, and it indicates continuous action in the past. So, in other words. What was a better translation would be simply saying this: They kept telling him that we've seen the Lord. In other words, like so, Thomas shows up, like Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's like, No, you haven't. No, we really have. I don't believe you. Like just like so, like and it's almost there's this this feeling of dialogue. They just keep saying to him, like we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. But, but, you don't believe it. And so, um, verse twenty six, it continues. I'm sorry, end of verse 25 says, uh, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. And um, let's just pause because that seems like kind of a strong reaction, right? Like we've seen him. Yeah, I'm not going like, to, unless I physically can do this, I'm sorry, guys, I'm out. Now, here's the thing to understand. To get why Thomas is here in this moment, we have to backtrack and understand Thomas's life up going into it. So for, uh, if we were to sort of go back through the Gospel of John, because John actually gives us more about Thomas than any other Gospel. Um, the first time Thomas has a line in the Gospel of John, like the first time Thomas says anything is way back in John chapter 11. It's in the story where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. 
And going into that story, there's this moment where, okay, like Jesus, he's been avoiding Judea because the, the Jewish leaders want to have him killed, and he knows it's not time yet, and so they're all staying away. And Jesus goes, like, I've got to go back. Like, I've got to go take care of this thing with Lazarus. And all his disciples are like, if you do that, don't you remember how you got, like, the reception you got before? And so, like, Jesus is like, no, I'm going to go. And in John eleven sixteen, here's what it says. It says, then Thomas, also known as Diddy, Said to the, I'm gonna not let that joke go. I got a reaction once, I can't let it go. All right, it's like, all right. Also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And right there we learned something about Thomas, that he loves Jesus, that he's passionate about Jesus. He goes, like, this guy is the Messiah. If I have to go somewhere with him and I'm killed in the line of duty, so be it. So what gets somebody from point A to point B? What gets somebody from, listen, we're going to go to that place and we get killed for him, so be it. I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand in the hole in his fingers. Like, Like, what gets a person to that place? And the answer is heartbreak. Heartbreak. But you see, the next mention we get of a line from Thomas is later on John 14 at the Last Supper. There's this point in the Last Supper where what what, uh, Jesus starts to say to his disciples is, he goes, listen, you know, I'm leaving, all right? And and you're going to look for me, and you're not going to be able to find me. Remember that whole thing? And he's he's like, where I'm going, you can't come, but I'll prepare a place for you. And he begins to tell them, like, listen, you know, uh, this is I'm going to not be with you anymore. And you sense this tense, like, panic in the voice of Thomas when he hears this. And so in John 14, verse 5, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't, because Jesus says to him, listen, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas goes, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? To which Jesus famously responds, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, okay? But, but here's the, the idea, and, and this is where we begin to see more about Thomas's heart. When he's first faced with the idea of losing Jesus, He can't handle it. And so you find him in this emotional outburst at the Last Supper. It's kind of like this. Um, So listen, I believe um, in recognizing my blessings. And, you know, God has blessed me with a lot of things in life. He's blessed me with a great wife and family and kids, house, roof over my head. and, And he's always taking care of me. The one thing God has not blessed me with or seen fit to at this juncture is a good sense of direction. I might be cashing in my man card right now, but look, I get lost very easily. Like, like, like when I first, just to put it in perspective, when I first got my driver's license, okay, when I was 16, all right, I've lived in Delaware most of my life, okay? You know how we live on Route 1? Most of, like, everything's on Route 1, right? I got lost trying to find Kmart on Route 1. Like, there's, you're going one way or the other. I picked the other. Like, I just, I, like, I got lost so easily, all right? And then, and I thought, oh, man, is this, is this an ailment? This is my cross to bear through life, you know? And then this amazing thing came out before the iPhone. It's called a GPS. Now, man, I was in on GPS the moment those became a thing, because now I couldn't get lost. It would just tell me where to go, except for the times I thought it was wrong and I'd go the wrong way. But that's another story. Um, like, I've gotten lost. Like, when I say I get lost easily, there have been times I've ended up in the wrong state lost, like bad lost, Okay. Josh is nodding his head. We don't need your support in that. So look. Um, and, and the crazy part is because when I get lost, I get really, really lost. 
I'm afraid of getting lost. And every now and then, like, if I feel like I'm delineating from the, the place I should be, it, like, it tenses up in my gut. Like, even if I know if I am or not, just the idea of not being where I should be because I'm so afraid of losing the way. Then I just like, ah, uh, and I freak out. I become short with people around me. I like, I am legitimately terrified. And I don't think Thomas is in that different of a place because he's found the place. He's found the way. He's found the rock to place his feet on. And suddenly Jesus is going, I'm going. And he's like, ah, he can't handle it. You see, he's losing the way. That's exactly what happens. Going forward, Jesus is taken from him. Jesus is killed. And because Jesus is killed, Thomas now believes that Jesus could not possibly be who he said he was because the Messiah don't die. He's lost all hope. His heart has been completely broken. So when we get here in John 20 and it says, I won't believe unless, let's understand this is not a rational statement. This comes from a place of heartbreak. It's the equivalent of like you sit down with somebody and, and, and they had their heart broken, like their boyfriend or their girlfriend left them and they go, oh, I'll never love again. And you look at that, and in your head, you're like, well, you probably will. You don't say it, you jerk. But look, like, but, but, but where does that come from? It's a reaction, right? It's this, like, I've been hurt. I can't handle that again. And that's exactly where Thomas is. And so it says again, in verse 25, it says, so when the other disciples, they keep saying to him, we've seen the Lord. He responds, unless I see the marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And this, listen, this is a faith situation and location for so many people right now. They're rejecting God, but it has nothing to do with what's actually presented in evidence. It has everything to do with emotional reaction and past heartbreak. How many people, I'm done with church, I'm done with God. Why? Well, because a Christian hurt my feelings. And I'm not judging for that, because, hey, that's on us. Like, Jesus didn't do that, we did that. But where does it come from? Does it come from? All right, listen, I, I, I can't believe in the resurrection because I, I, you know, I've researched it. It just doesn't seem to be true. No, it comes from I don't like what I experience. And so, therefore, my faith is cut off. Therefore, I'm done. It's not rational. It's not based on fact. It's based on heart. And the funny thing about us humans are we're not robots. We have hearts. And we react from heartbreak. This past week, I came in. And somebody, somebody, I'll give you another example. Somebody asked me, they said, I think it was Monday. He went, hey, man, what do you think of Lil Nas's shoes? And I was honored by that question for two reasons. Number one, that they assumed I knew who Lil Nas was. And number two, that I had an opinion about somebody's shoes. I got these at Target. I don't get that question very much. Eh. I didn't know. So I asked, like, what's, what, what, who, what, what's going on with his shoes? And then I mean, you've seen the story. You know, rapper Lil Nas, famous for the song Old Town Road, released a pair of shoes called Satan Shoes. The soul's shoes are said to contain a drop of human blood. They have 666 all over them. There are pentagrams on the laces and all kinds of evil stuff released in, a, uh, in conjunction with a music video of Lil Nas himself, a ex-Christian uh, black gay man doing a lap dance for the devil. And you hear that, and you go like, 
Ugh. And the hearsay is, well, you know, Nas has said, well, the reason I did this is because Christians drove me to it. And that's kind of funny to me because I've been around church for a while. I've never seen anybody push somebody to worship the devil before, but whatever. But where does that come from? See, and, and, and some of us, we're, we're like, people are up in arms and they're offended, but nobody's stopping to go, hey, what gets a person's heart to that place? Because it's not, it's not, hey, you know what? Somebody just woke up one day and decided to worship the devil. It's somebody's heart was broken again and again and again. Someone was told they don't have a place at the table again and again. And again, I'm all for biblical truth. And I'm all for calling sin, sin. And I'm all for repentance. And I'm all for living for the Lord and turning from the world and turning to him. But let's just understand something, that that doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from somebody being kicked that rage, that bitterness, and the devil capitalizes on it, furthers it, spins it. But it's a heart thing. One more. Um, Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, opens the book. He talks about a guy named Richard. He actually, Richard is the reason that he wrote the book. Uh, Richard uh, first met Philip Yancey uh, when he said, hey, listen, you know, he was a seminary student, and he was working on a commentary on the book of Job which is a book about suffering. And uh, Richard said, hey, would you write the foreword to, to my commentary? And so Yancey looked at it, and sure. And, and some time goes by, and Yancey hears again from Richard. And Richard says, um, hey, just so that you know, I'm, I'm leaving the faith. And he goes, well, what got a person from, I'm gonna write a book about God to that? So he asks him, and it has to do with just a series of unfortunate events, like his uh, fiance leaving him, and just thing after thing after thing. And so finally Richard reaches this point where he said, all right, listen, God, I need you to appear to me right now. I need you to show me that you're real because if you don't show me that you're real, I'm done, I'm out. I need you to intervene in this moment. That's crickets. So Richard reaches this moment where he said, okay, you know what? Obviously I was wrong. And he grabbed his Bible and all his Christian books and he burned them. Now, here's the thing. Um, what brought Richard to that place of rejection? Was it that he was cognitively persuaded that the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen? Which, by the way, is the only thing that makes or breaks the Christian faith? No. It was experience. Experience determined the course. And again, that is where Thomas is when we see him in this story. Everything's fallen apart. He placed his hopes. His heart has been broken. And if that's where you are, if you're in that boat of I'm hanging on by a thread, the good news in this story and in your life today is the following. And if you're taking notes, write this down because you should just know it. Jesus can meet your doubts. Again, Jesus can meet your doubts. It's interesting. We live um, in a time where we believe that, that, that doubt is somehow the enemy of faith. I would argue that most of us experience doubts at some point. It's been said, and I don't know who said it, but I just, I just believe it, that, that no, doubt is not the enemy of faith. Disobedience is. And we're going to see it, by the way. Uh, in, in a few weeks, we're going to be uh, going, starting to go through the book of 1 Samuel. You're going to see this like crazy there. To obey is better than sacrifice and all this stuff. But um, no, 
doubt is not the end. In fact, doubt, doubt is healthy because what doubt does is it makes us to like critically engage the things with which we, we encounter. And that's not the end. But, but the good news is that Jesus actually can meet your doubts. And so that's what we see here. Going forward in John 20, starting uh, verse 26, it says this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked. See, like all the, the situation is exactly the same as the previous Sunday. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Right there. Right there. Hey, Thomas, I can take all of it. Some of us, we're so afraid. Okay, if I were to ask this question, like, like would God be mad at me? No. Here's the neat thing about the resurrection of Jesus. It's pretty easy to prove. And again, that's like, it, it's just so that you know, because I want to just guard you guys from, from some of the nonsense and ways that we feel like we've got to defend things. Um, it's not that I don't believe that the Bible is 100% true. Nope. Fully written, inspired word of God. Absolutely. But do you understand, you don't have to defend the Christian faith by, by, by arguing really well for a seven-day creation or Noah's Ark or were the Israelites really in, in the, the wilderness or not? Those things are true, but no, that's not what your faith rises and falls on. It rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To the point where Paul actually says, I think it's 1 Corinthians, he says, listen, uh, if, if Christ is not raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So that's the thing that we argue. And that one's actually really easy to argue to the point where when people try to disprove it, they usually, or very, I shouldn't say usually, I don't have every corner of every person who's ever lived, but very oftentimes they end up converting. There's a great, really popular book out there. You haven't read it, check it out. It's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, a Chicago journalist whose wife became a Christian. Strobel was offended by this, so he decided to disprove her new religion and ended up converting as he met more and more people and discovered and researched the resurrection more and more. So if you're like, man, how, like what evidence should I delve into? Go with that one, because that's the one that makes or breaks it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And isn't it the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Jesus uses to grab Thomas right where he is? He doesn't show up, and he's not like, okay, so Thomas, just so that you know, all right, Job is poetry. But also, Seven days. Now you believe? Okay, no, it's, hey, look at my, right here, right here, right here. Hold my hand, hold my hand, hold my hand. Same is true, same is true for you and for me. And so Thomas, what do you do with that? Okay, like if you're confronted by the reality, here's what Thomas does. He says, my Lord and my God. When faced with it, and by the way, that is blasphemy if not true. To so call Jesus God, if you're Jewish, and he's not, is a no-no. So sometimes when people are like, oh, but, but do the disciples really believe that Jesus is God? Yes. Right there, we just read it. Yes. Fully God. Fully man. But here's the thing, and I, I would just say to you, for, for the one who's struggling with doubt, for the one who's like, I want to believe, but I'm not there yet, go. Jesus can take your doubts. Just go ahead, bring them up. Look into the resurrection, but there's something you've got to do too, okay? And this is where the rubber's going to meet the road, and you should just know this. So Thomas, when confronted by the reality that Jesus is risen, doesn't go, huh, oh, nice try, guys, you almost got me. 
And I'm bringing this up because, listen, as much as we say that we're very, very rational, as much as we say, like, okay, you know, yeah, I believe, and, you know, I'll just go where the evidence takes me. When you have skin in the game, where you might have to acknowledge that you were wrong, it's a lot tougher. And this is what I would say to you. If you're struggling with that right now, you're just like, okay, I'm going to go after Jesus. I'm going to listen to this. Okay, but here's, here's the responsibility on you. You need to be honest with yourself when you find it. Because some people don't want it to be true. Because if, Je if Jesus really rose from the dead, that means some things may have to change. That, that means, okay, like living for me isn't going to be how I do things anymore. If Jesus really rose from the dead, it means his words are completely authoritative because last I checked, none of us can do that. And so my authority for how life should be lived is not on par with his. See, if you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, it's going to cost you something. It always does. And, and, and here's, here's the rub. Many people, they're convinced of it in their bones, but they'll suppress it. And the reason they do that is it's just easier to stay where you are. And so and I'm not going to remove human responsibility. It's, it's not, oh, you're basically good, and if I could just sway you a little bit. No, the truth is you and I are incredibly selfish from the outset. And very oftentimes, you would just gr like gravitate towards the things that most let us do what we want to do. But if you're going to do this, if you're going to say, all right, I've examined the evidence, I think it's true, you've got to go where that leads you. Even if it's not convenient. And so here's Thomas, and he, he's back in. Broken heart, mended, my Lord and my God. Here's how our story wraps. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I love this moment. There's a couple of them in John where Jesus stops to teach people who aren't even in the room. And I like this because like, he says, blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet believed. Um, everybody who's there has seen him. So who's he talking to? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. It's as though Jesus just stops and you have the camera of the story and they're talking to him and he just turns to look right at the audience. As though he knows how many years later John is going to write this down? And here's the part, guys, just, just, just stay with me, okay? When he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. This word in the Greek that we translate as blessed. Again, like we hear blessed and we go like, oh, that's a nice religious word, right? So like, you know, hashtag blessed. Isn't that nice? Like I feel, okay, Here, here's, here's the thing, all right? Um, that word in the Greek is makarios. And... and blessed in the sense of, like, God giving you something, yes. But essentially, like, the, the word, it has this connotation of, of to be envied. Like, the, like, you've been given something so much that your friend should look at you and be like, dang. 
All right, like blessed Macarius, like um, this idea of like you have come across something that's incredibly fortunate, like you are in an incredible fortunate position to have what you have. And so when Jesus says, listen, blessed are those who have not seen that belief, like envy those people. All right, in other words, in other words, hey, Thomas, like because how many of us we go, all right, like, uh, like oh man, wouldn't it have been great to be standing where Thomas is and to, and to see how Thomas saw and make that the thing. But Jesus goes, actually, you know who you should really envy? You. You. You know why? Because um, it doesn't take much to convince somebody that Jesus is alive when he's standing right in front of them. But your faith, hey, hey, stay with me, stay with me. Eyes up. Your faith is not an accident. Your faith is a miracle of God brought only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when it says, listen, blessed, you have to understand it's like the favor of God has fallen. The power of the Lord is there. And I would just tell you this today. Maybe where you're sitting, maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching online. Um, if you're sitting here today and there's just something stirring in you, and you're like, I believe, I believe. And, and you weren't there before, but there's something just like churning in you. And you go, yes, it's true. That only happens because God decided it. You know what do I do with that? Well, today I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you would say, I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. Your next step is to invite him to be the Lord of your life. So let's wrap up by doing that today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to begin a relationship with the risen Jesus, through the person and power of the Holy Spirit, we start by praying together. And here's what we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for living for me. I ask you now, please fill me with your spirit and show me how to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, listen, before you go, if you pray with me just now, know you haven't finished the race, you've just started it, we want to help you take your first steps which is why we created a special website just for you if you're beginning this relationship with Jesus thing or maybe you're coming back after a long time away. If you go on over to solidground.church slash first steps, you find a bunch of free resources and study stuff that we put there for you to help you go forward in your relationship with Jesus. Church family, thank you guys so much for being here today. We'll see you next week. Don't forget, doors reopening May 2nd at 9, 30, and 11. Cannot wait to see you there. And Dream Team, make some noise for them one more time before we go.